In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Jeffrey, let me thank you and Tim and all the staff, Sage, um, for your wonderful hospitality. It's been a, a wonderful revival that I've shared with you all. And um, may you have a a blessed Good Friday and and Holy Easter, and uh, I'll be thinking about you, and you will be in my prayers. Um, I actually went to a revival one time, an honest-to-God revival. Uh, it was on a hot September evening. I'd been to a high school football game, and... Margie, my wife, and was out of town, and our children were teenagers, and so who knows what they were up to. And I didn't have much to do, and I'm driving down Broad Street headed home, and lo and behold, in a vacant lot, there's the tent with tons of people in there, and an African-American preacher and the musicians, and I, something within me compelled me to just pull over and go. So I went, and uh, I guess I needed to bring some color to the situation. Uh, but I, I went, and of course they had an altar call. And, you know, I was kind of freaked out about it because I'd never really done that before except to go to communion. And um, so I went up. And the preacher was going full blast, and he was on a roll, and he was sweating. And he was preaching, and the people came up. And I think a couple in front of me were slain in the spirit and toppled over and all that and so I finally came up to the to the podium where he was and he looked at me and he said of course I didn't tell him I was a preacher uh, I, he said how much do you love Jesus he said and I don't know I went I don't know maybe like this And he said, that ain't loving Jesus. He said, what about this? I said, well, okay, yeah, that's even better. He said, what about this? And I went, hallelujah, you're right. <laughs> and I guess I got re-saved that night. Uh, but... It was, it was a powerful experience, and it's, of course, a phenomenon to American religion, and in particular to the frontier uh, experience. But um, nonetheless, like Henry Nowen says, we leak. We err and stray like lost sheep, and we drift. And there are times where we need to be called back. 
and to be renewed in our faith. And that's why this is such an important week and next week is such an important week to renew our faith in the seminal event of Christianity, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, but today's Monday Thursday comes from the Latin mandare, which means command, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And Jesus demonstrates this love through an enacted parable, really, uh, taking the role of the most menial servant in a household and getting on his knees with the towel in a basin and begins to wash the disciples' feet, enacting for them to see what it's like to be a servant leader. And we should all take note of that. However, the emphasis to me this day is on on the Holy Eucharist or the last meal that Jesus and his disciples shared in which he took real bread and real wine and identified it in the suffering that awaited him. Broken bread and poured out wine. Uh, Incidentally, you all might want to know that, that Thomas Welch was a Wesleyan Methodist and a strict prohibitionist, and he was the one that invented Welch Aid so that they wouldn't have alcohol at the communion. And that's where that came from. Um, which reminds me of a funny little story about an Episcopal priest who gets on an airplane and takes a seat next to one of our more conservative brothers. And once they get up in the air and the, and the steward comes by taking drink orders, the priest said, well, I'll have a scotch and soda. And the evangelical sitting next to him kind of turned up his nose and got a, showed a little lippery. <laughs> and was not very happy with this display because the priest had on his collar. And the, the priest could see that the man was not very pleased when he got his scotch and soda and began to drink it in front of all these people. And he said, uh, sir, excuse me, but I see that you're clearly bothered by my having a cocktail on the flight. And he said, well, you know, I, I am bothered by that. I mean, here you are, a man of the cloth, and you're setting a terrible example of Christian behavior for all these people on board this flight. And I'm, as a Christian, I'm just kind of embarrassed. And the priest looked at him and said, well, you know, Jesus drank. Uh, in fact, he was accused in the Gospels of being a glutton and a drunkard, a charge that he never refuted 
And the guy looked at him and frowned some more, and he said, yes, and I would have thought a lot more of him if he hadn't have. <laughs> a parting meal. John the Baptist came, and the hallmark of his ministry was a baptism for repentance. Jesus came, and the hallmark of his ministry was feasting. And indeed, he broke bread very often with many different people. It was one of his favorite things to do. And tonight, he gathered for a parting meal knowing that he was about to die. I suppose that he could have backed out at this point that he did have a choice. Uh, if so, he reminds me of, of that person that Woody Allen referred to when he said that we stand at a crossroads. One path leads to utter despair. The other path leads to total extinction. I pray for the wisdom to choose wisely. The image that we have of the final meal, of course, has been popularized and put into our minds by Leonardo da Vinci in the 15th century rendering of the Last Supper that now hangs at the refectory of the monastery of Santa Maria del Grazzi. And it's the first of the great figure compositions of the high renaissance. Jesus is there in perfect repose, and the disciples are all astir, saying amongst themselves, is it I who will be betraying him? In the sacristy here, there's a wonderful cartoon by Mike Lakonovich in which is a depiction of the Last Supper and all the disciples have smartphones <laughs> and they're all texting and they're not paying any attention to Jesus. And Jesus says, this smartphone business is way overrated. <laughs> Jesus knew the fate of the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Micah, Zechariah. He didn't have to be prescient to know that he was headed to a violent end. And he gives himself up. And he will go on to be arrested and die in the most ignominious horrible form of torture ever created by the demonic imagination of humankind. He will be utterly refuted. His friends will leave him in the lurch. The God whom he has proclaimed as being so close and so near and so caring, this God 
won't be around. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so Jesus dies, according to Mark, a wordless, godless death, letting out a loud cry and giving up his ghost. There's no sort of sentimental touches of Father, forgive them. They know not what they do in Luke. There's none of the drama in John where he gives the beloved disciple to his mother. None of that. He dies in agony. Moses died at 120, looking over into the promised land, having lived a long, full life. Buddha dies in his 80s, surrounded by his disciples. Muhammad dies at a ripe old age, surrounded by his disciples and in the arms of his favorite wife. Not this man, cut down in his prime. Like the hymn says, sometimes it makes you want to tremble, tremble, tremble. It is a ghastly thing. In the early church, the biggest hurdle to the Messiahship of Jesus was there was no such thing as a crucified Messiah. It was a contradiction in terms. Deuteronomy 7 says anyone hanged on a tree is cursed of God. So Jesus dies a death presumably under the curse of God the Father. My parish is in furthest northwest town in Georgia called Fort Oglethorpe. It's close to the Chickamauga Battlefield, which is the oldest and first largest national park commemorating a war in the United States. After Gettysburg, it was the most bloody battle of the Civil War. There's a loop that goes around all the former barracks that used to house the officers of the 6th Cavalry, all the way dating back to the Civil War on through World War II, World War I, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan. And there around the circle is this monument, beautiful thing, built up, and there engraved in the stones around it are the names of the people from the 6th Cavalry who had perished. And it's a, a monument to their bravery and to their sacrifice. What I want to leave you with is that going in 
to the Paschal mystery is that although there were monuments constructed in remembrance of the prophets and the martyrs in Israel, what I want you to remember is that there was never a monument constructed in memory of Jesus. There was no monument in Nazareth because the crucified lives. Thank you so much for having me here. May you have a blessed and wonderful Easter. And may the peace of the Lord be always with you. Thank you.